Hello, everyone. Welcome to the ILO's Future of Work podcast. This is the latest in our mini-series looking at youth employment, made by youth for youth. I'm your host, Maya Marcus. Today's episode will focus on green jobs and youth employment. The climate crisis is undeniably one of the most pressing issues of our societies, if not the most. But what are green jobs? Well, they are jobs that preserve or restore the environment and may replace jobs that are lost as societies transition to greener economies. Green jobs include jobs in clean and renewable energy, construction, sustainable agriculture, recycling, and waste management. They also have the potential to create 8.4 million jobs for young people by 2030. So what can young people do to ensure a sustainable future for themselves? To discuss this, let me introduce you, our three guests of today. Mette Grangard-Lund works at the International Labour Organization as a junior professional officer in the Green Jobs Unit. She works on the implementation of the Green Jobs for Youth Pact, an ambitious initiative of the ILO, UNICEF and UNEP, which aims to boost green jobs around the world. Our second guest is Boitumalo Molete. She works at a Congress of South African Trade Unions as a social development policy coordinator and has worked on the issues of climate change from a labor perspective for the past five years. And finally, Rabia Anwar. Rabia is a young assistant secretary general of the Employers Federation of Pakistan with six years of experience in advocacy on decent work and the future of work with a focus on diversity and inclusivity in the workplace. So hi, Meta, Boitumalo and Rabia. It is really a pleasure to have you all here. Hi, thank you for having us. <laughs> Hi. So let's jump right in. What do you think? How are young people who look for employment affected by the climate crisis? We can start with saying that um, today, uh, more than 50% of the world's population are young people. They're below the age of 30, which I think is yeah, mind mind blowing. And uh, they are also increasingly uh, obviously uh, engaged in, in the climate change agenda. We see that uh, the strongest voices out there, they are the youth. And that's because they have um, everything to lose, but also everything to gain on this topic. Mm-hmm. And um, from an employment uh, perspective, they are already uh, quite marginalized from, from the get-go. So after COVID, youth employment hasn't really bounced back. Um, and today, today, young people are three times more likely to be unemployed than, than adults. And also one in five young people, they are uh, not in education, employment or training. So they, they are really coming from a, a, a position um, of disadvantage um, in, into the, the labor market. Then from an employment perspective, no, from a climate change perspective, um, it's quite interesting because young people are also amongst those that group that has contributed the least to to climate change. They come typically live in countries with relative lower emissions, such as India, Indonesia and Nigeria that have very big uh, youth generations as well or young generations. Um, but they also uh, live in, in countries or areas that are more climate uh, uh, vulnerable areas. Uh, they can be prone to, to global warming or flooding or droughts. So they're both um, the ones on the receiving end of the, the catastrophe that climate change is, but they're also on the 
and uh, of solutions and innovation and, and action. Ravia and Boitmela, you actually have a lot of experience in this. So what do you think um, how us young people are affected the most by climate change and especially when it comes to the work environment? Hello, I'd like to start first. Um, this is Rebia and thank you for having me here. And I agree with Meta actually that a search for employment has become even more difficult, uh, especially in the transition towards green economy. And in this global transition towards green economies, young people don't feel adequately prepared to participate in the green economy, which also um, leads to a lack of knowledge and skills. For example, in this transition, some jobs are being replaced, making it harder for young people to find employment and new jobs are being introduced. But due to a lack of knowledge and adequate skills, uh, young people find it very difficult to secure employment, especially for young people living in the marginalized communities like in Pakistan, where they have limited access to technology and some don't even have access to Internet. So this further disproportionately uh, affects uh, their access to uh, green jobs and, you know, green skills. And you, Boitamel, you live in uh, South Africa and you have a lot of experience working there with young people and also social partners. So what have you seen? What are the, um, the main challenges? Uh, what I've been seeing in South Africa is how young people have become so centralized into the discussions of, of climate change and just transition. Um, so it is young people that are coming forth with solutions with regards to how to actually form parts of a bigger solution, whether it's from a policy perspective or whether it's from an implementation perspective on the ground. Uh, young people are, are there to speak to issues relating to how they could participate more in the green economy, how their voices and their demands can be met by policymakers to ensure that there is policy that is sensitive to the fact that young people are the ones that bear the burden of climate change. They're the ones at the interface of unemployment. They're the ones at the interface of a changing world of work. They are, uh, young people are the ones that are also uh, going to be um, expected to participate as employees or as business uh, people in the low carbon economy. So young people are there to ensure that it is their interests that are, are brought forward. Advocacy is quite a big thing in ensuring that uh, the voices of the young people of, of various nations, including South Africa, are heard. Yeah, exactly. And I'm actually really curious because when I first think about climate change, I would not think necessarily about the world of work, you know, about being employed, for example, is something that I have experienced and seen here at the ILO. Um, so how did this journey start for the two of you, Rabi and Boitmelo? How did you, what motivated you to end up at this intersection of uh, the environment and employment? Um, I can start. Um, so I was introduced to the concept of green consumption as a lifestyle on social media. And even in uh, local supermarkets where you go and see them promoting uh, you know, purchase of goods that have a lower environmental impact. And then I find myself paying extra for uh, for the paper bags instead of plastic ones. And from that uh, very limited, um, uh, you know, exposure to such a, a concept, then comes the pandemic. And we've seen the headlines that in 2020 record uh, in reduction of greenhouse emissions, which was due to the lockdown and widespread of restrictions on economic activities. But um, by the end of 2020, 
um, as the lockdown was lifted, the emissions recovered to the previous year's level. So this experience clearly demonstrated that restraining economic activities did not slow down climate change, but uh, actually it resulted in painful consequences in loss of jobs, um, rising poverty and social injustice, most important, particularly for poor urban households. So this completely changed my narrative on the environment, which is a crucial topic directly affecting the health and well-being of everyone. And working in an employer's organization, I realized how employment and the role of employers become vital aspects of uh, creating a more equitable and um, sustainable future. So this, uh, this is how I started my journey, which is quite recent, towards employers' alliance in just transition which is a long-term campaign of commitment to engage with employers in the development of green jobs and investment in green practices. And with this commitment, we are prioritizing creating awareness for employers and academic institutions on the creation of green jobs and green skills and advocating for climate justice, especially in the marginalized communities. It's, it's quite interesting how it happened. Um, I was introduced to the trade union movement about six, five years ago. Uh, and at that stage, it was when uh, the work of climate change was gaining traction. Uh, at the time, it was um, in 2011 when Prasatu adopted its first climate change policy. So I was at the beginning phase of the work education with regards to um, enlightening workers on, on, on climate change issues. So I started there. And the more I went into the field and speaking to workers and hearing the challenges that workers faced and putting together what climate change meant for workers at the workplace, uh, what climate change meant for workers in their communities, I kind of got into the advocacy work of it and uh, speaking to climate justice. Uh, so that was how I got introduced to the discussion. and I literally fell in love with how workers were the ones that are giving solutions to how it is we can combat uh, uh, impacts of climate change, especially with regards to the issues that workers were raising uh, on how climate change was affecting them on a worker level basis. Yeah, exactly. Because at the end of the day, we all have to work, right? <laughs> we live in a system where we have to uh, pay our rent, pay our food, and it's important to work in places that are sustainable and um, potentially green jobs are uh, an answer to this and a solution. And Meta, you want to say something? <laughs> no, it's just, I think you're right, Maya, that um, the social dimension of climate change or the jobs dimension is sort of the final blind spot of how we talk and address climate change. So let's take, for example, circular economy for a second here. So the ILO data shows that if we transition to a circular economy, you will create some 78 million jobs, but 71 million jobs will, will be lost, right? So that's an insane shift in the labor market. Market. And that transition is not going to just be smooth from, you know, the last day of March and then you just start uh, in your new circular job on the 1st of April. That transition is not going to uh, just happen automatically. So if we don't have the jobs dimension into this uh, way that we respond to climate change, then we risk creating new challenges in a greener circular economy, but that is more socially unjust. And we have talked so much about green jobs, but um, and you are actually working in the Green Jobs Unit. So can you just briefly explain to our listeners yeah, how they can envision what green jobs are in the future and especially for young people? 
Yeah, sure. In the ILO, we we work with this um, internationally agreed upon definition of green jobs, um, where you look on an output basis. So you can both be in a green job that produces a, a product or a service that is green. Those are typically the jobs that people think of when they think of a green job. It will be a job that produces a solar panel, uh, for example. But it can also be a, a job that uh, greens a process. And those are perhaps the jobs that are overlooked. Uh, so that could be your uh, supply chain manager that then suddenly has metrics on uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Or it could be uh, your uh, 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 energy efficiency or water reduction uh, personnel, things like that. And mm -hmm. um, so you can look at it as a sort of an output uh, perspective. And then from a social justice perspective, uh, then it's really important to keep in mind that all these green jobs in the future, they're not necessarily these uh, really high paid jobs with a hard hat uh, um, going to a, a windmill farm uh, somewhere with, with uh, really good working conditions. Another argument is that, well, if you have a job that pollutes or um, uh, emit a lot of greenhouse gases or contribute to global warming and make someone else's livelihoods or life or health worse, can you then argue that that is a decent job? No. Mm -hmm. So that's why in the ILO, it's very important for us that the green jobs that we promote in the future will also be what we call decent jobs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for young people specifically, Rebian Boitumelo, what have you seen? What are the challenges to getting into these green jobs? Like, What can we do to access these green jobs? Do you have any solutions or the main challenges that you have seen? We most urgently need to address the challenges for young people who are um, just, you know, entering the labor market and they feel that they are unprepared for the jobs in the green economy. And this directs us to take urgent action and equip them with uh, equip the young people with skills and knowledge and provide economic opportunities to accelerate the work on, uh, on, a, on a just transition, on, on a sustainable future. This will not only protect the environment, but will also advance the work on uh, decent jobs and gender equality, but also the creation of millions of jobs. Employers and academic institutions have a very important role to invest uh, in the training and education of young people to create opportunities from them uh, when we talk about this shift towards a green economy. And you, boy Tumelo, what do you think? Sure, I couldn't agree more in that uh, when we speak about green jobs, the most important part of it is to speak to how these green jobs need to be decent jobs. Um, it's quite important that that, that is factored in because um, uh, we all know that shifting from this a uh, highly intensive uh, economy means that uh, there is likelihood that workers would be uh, taken into jobs that are less paying and jobs that uh, are less uh, of what they are accustomed to. So it's important that we ensure that there's sufficient uh, uh, um, comprehensive uh, protection for workers, especially social protection. This is uh, uh, um, a part that we also emphasize on in that uh, green jobs need to ensure that workers' rights are protected and workers' rights are advocated for. I think the, the biggest challenge when it comes to the participation of young people in a green economy at this stage is uh, not having sufficient skills to form part of this low-carbon low economy, uh, not having the sufficient education and training that is invested in for young people to be able to participate 
meaningfully in this low-carbon economy. I also think that the issue of job scarcity, especially in the context of South African high unemployment, that also becomes a, a huge factor in that young people are already scavenging for jobs in this current economy. If I can just add in, um, so I actually agree with Meta and what Batumara has also said uh, is that the decent jobs and social justice uh, is that we often overlook that social justice cannot progress in an unequal and unjust world and that the effects of climate change are felt differently by different communities and often most by the vulnerable and marginalized populations. They are, they are the most that are hit hardest. For example, um, in a society where for example, let's take a, much, a, a very urban place in Pakistan where certain groups have unequal access to education, healthcare, and employment opportunities. It is extremely difficult to do policy work and programs that promote climate justice without first addressing these structural barriers. So this, I think this is an, a, an evidence that this is the most important aspect that we need to look at, and that is climate injustice. Thank you, Rabia. Well, it's actually really interesting that you brought in lots of different aspects from employers, workers, and I'm actually wondering what is done on the global level as well. So, um, for example, um, in back in November, Meta, you've been uh, at COP um, 27, and uh, you presented and launched uh, the Green Jobs for Youth Pact, which is uh, this new pact um, hosted by uh, the ILO, um, UNICEF, and UNEP. So. Um, can you please tell us what this pact is really about and why is it so different from other initiatives? Yeah, um, thanks, Maya. Yeah, we did. So I think what the reason what brought the three agencies together around this pact was that um, we wanted to address this climate change and youth employment gap in a holistic manner. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to do it in a meaningful way and an impactful way together with and for youth. So that means that actually both Rabia and Botomelo are members of what we call the Youth Advisory Group of this initiative, um, where we are bringing young people into the center of, of the way that we're developing this program or this pact, as we call it. So the Green Jobs for Youth Pact um, is uh, aiming at they ha we have these um, what we think is very ambitious global goals of creating one million green new jobs for young people uh, but, <laughs> but also uh, greening one million existing jobs mm -hmm. which is really important in terms of uh, what I talked about with these green jobs of uh, greening processes greening SMEs greening businesses but also the skills dimension that both Rabia and Boitomelo talked about right mm -hmm. the, the, the upskilling reskilling of employees and young people uh, and then the last element is also linked to what Boitomelo was talking about where the job scarcity so that is the ambition of, of supporting 10,000 young green entrepreneurs. So of course, entrepreneurship can also be a way bo both to uh, support self-employment, but also job creation for others. Mm. And um, as we was very clear from this conversation today, right, that um, uh, climate action has to be complex and also holistic. And that's why we have these sort of three green E's, we call them. So green employment and entrepreneurship is the first one. The second one is education and skills for green jobs. And the last one is youth empowerment and engagement. Mm -hmm. And we really believe by bringing these uh, three E's together, the, the uh, agencies, the youth, um, the broader community of social partners, of private sector, of education uh, institutions, 
solutions, building on existing knowledge that we have in the UN on our existing programs, that we can work as an aggregator and accelerator towards these overarching goals. And if we can jointly uh, accelerate the, the creation of one million uh, green jobs, then I think uh, we can be quite uh, happy with ourselves uh, and, and proud of that joint joint effort. No, that is, I think, very encouraging to see. On a more personal level, uh, Ravia Boitumalo, do you have any tips, for example, for other young people? What can we do on our own, you know, without relying on other organizations? I let, let Boitumalo take first, yes. I, I think the best thing we can do as young people is be in solidarity with each other, regardless of where in the world we are. We are faced with the same challenges. So it's going to be important that we form our own solidarity, even if it's outside of the formal uh, organizations. However, it's important to note that the organizations that we represent are quite important to ensuring that our voices are heard and are put on a larger scale. For example, I think at COP27 is quite a big thing to have such a huge uh, youth-led delegation across all, all sides of life, whether it be trade unions or employers. So it's important that we collaborate. Uh, it's also important that we're able to articulate ourselves uh, quite efficiently and effectively. So it's going to be important that we uh, invest in uh, educating ourselves, capacitating ourselves and speaking as loud as we can across platforms on how it is that we want this just transition to be and how we want these green jobs to, to, to actually accommodate us as young people. It is our future and it is us that are supposed to be channeling and molding this uh, transition into a manner in which it will best benefit us in the long run. I actually agree with Bertmara. I think she said it all, uh, the key words being solidarity and collaborate. I think, uh, it, I mean, historically, if you see that um, young people have led the change against social and economic injustice, and if we go past several few years back, young people are also mobilizing in large numbers. And a perfect example of that is Greta Thunberg, where she has inspired and continues to inspire young people, including children globally, to take urgent action on climate change. But that's just not on, on climate change. We can collaborate um, on many other social economic uh, issues as well. And this shows that uh, young people are not only victims, but also valuable contributors and agents to climate action. So um, I'd say that we have to move and take action to create a better and more sustainable future for ourselves. And with the advent of digitalization and social media, many young activists have taken these platforms to speak up and engage globally with young people in creating awareness and increasing the knowledge and capacities of, um, of young people who have not yet engaged with the issue. And, I mean, that's how I got introduced in this topic. So this is a perfect pathway, I guess, for the youth, with the youth, by the youth. Well, thank you so much for all of your comments. I think I'm feeling even more inspired now. I'm sure that our listeners really appreciated this uh, discussion. So I'm looking forward to hear even more also about your work, about your future and the Green Jobs for Youth Pact. And that concludes this episode on youth employment and green jobs. Thank you again for joining me, Mette, Rabi and Boitumelo. And thank you for our listeners for listening and joining the Future of Work podcast. And don't forget to tune in for our next episode. <laughs>